You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. Know more about sex as an idol in today's culture in this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Advisory, this podcast contains mature subject matter. Please exercise discretion when listening around children. Today we are talking about uh, one topic that is rather controversial. And I'm talking about sex. And uh, maybe some of you are wondering why are we talking about sex in church? In fact, the mere mention of this word sex is a bit shocking maybe for some. It may raise, you know, some may actually raise eyebrows here. Some may find the, you know, find the time to start leaving right now. But before you leave, you know, we want to just make sure that whatever we're going to be talking about is in accordance with the Word of God. In fact, um, of course, we're not going to show you any video, okay? Uh, please, that's not going to be part of the sermon, okay, today. But the goal of this topic is at the end of this series, which is about a three-week series, that we will all have a biblical understanding of sex. I know that, you know, when you talk about this particular topic, in fact, I was talking to some of the pastors um, in, uh, in the girls' room yesterday, and I was, uh, you know, talking uh, to them on the phone, and I was in my daughter's rooms, uh, room, actually, and as I was talking and as I was describing the topic and explaining to them my tact for today, I find myself that I cannot even mention the word sex in front of my daughters. Being, of course, being nine and eight. And I always catch myself saying, you know, uh, Pastor Sani, you know, I'm going to sh- share this uh, three points. You know, S is this, S is that, and S is that. But yet, you know, uh, I know that definitely our culture has a lot of things to talk about you know, and when they deal with sex. I don't know where you've learned about sex, but I believe that when you talk about sex, it was God who made sex. It was God who invented sex. Amen. You are looking at me as if I came from Mars. But I understand. That's why... We've asked all the parents to please send your children out in the children's church because they are teaching them something that's general patronage. And they're not talking about this same topic. Praise God. (laughs) So I'd like to ask everyone to stand with me. We're going to read the scriptures this morning. And we're going to be reading from the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And um, since this is a public reading of Scripture, I'd like to invite everyone to read along with me with your beautiful voices. Would you do that? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Ready? 1, 2, 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set. Again. <laughs> Set your minds on things that are above. <laughs> Can you click for me? I'll read it from my Bible. That is better. 
set your minds on things that are above. Can you just be the one to click? Thank you. Not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is what? Which is idolatry. Verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, we submit ourselves to you, Lord God. We know that this is such a delicate topic to talk about. Father, even myself as a preacher, I thank you that you will give me the grace and the anointing to preach your word in accordance to your scripture, in accordance to your will. We thank you, Lord God, that you will open up the minds of your people to see this topic, this thing called sex, from the point of view of God, the way you see it, Lord. And we thank you that you will also uh, break bondages and break yokes. I thank you, Lord God, that you will set your people free even today in this particular area. We declare freedom. We declare liberty. We declare that the anointing of God will break the yoke. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. You may all be seated. All right, now, all the churches in Metro Manila are preaching about this topic called sex. Can you actually say that word with me? One, two, three. Para maliberate kayo, okay? So that you can actually be liberated because you sound, you, you look so, you know, uptight, you know, when I, when I talk about this word. Come on now. Okay, can we say that word again? One, two, three. Okay, you will find that in the Bible, by the way. Okay? And there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to that, the Song of Solomon. And so we're going to look at what is this thing called sex. And some of the questions that we need to ask really is this. Is sex bad? Second, who is it for? And third, why do people, both men and women, struggle with it. You know, I realize that no one really wants to talk about sex. You know, it's not a normal part of your conversation, you know, especially you're a Christian. But, you know, somehow there are struggles that people go through with it. But I think the most important thing that you, we need to understand is that it was God who instituted sex. We need to go back to the very beginning of time and look at the scripture about how God created it to be pure and holy. Nothing wrong with sex. It was society and sin that perverted sex. In fact, in the beginning, when God created both man, actually God created man first. And then what happened was, God put man to sleep, and while he was sleeping, what did God do? He took one of the man's ribs, Okay, and uh, made a woman out of that rib. And when Adam woke up, there was Eve in front of him. Now you've got to understand that it was God who basically created Eve for Adam. Adam was not looking for a wife. He was not looking for a date. 
God was the one who placed this woman right in front of Adam. And guess what? When God placed Eve in front of Adam, she was naked. What a gift, right? Because at that time, both man, man and woman was naked. You know, you, you know, it was God who initiated this. And God was the one who basically brought this daughter of, hers, of, of his to Adam. And then he was the one who officiated their wedding. And the only time that these two had sex was, well, of course, we don't, we don't see that in the scripture anymore, that God, you know, you know, married them, and you know, the, you know, do you, man, do you take this woman to be your wife? You know, but it was understood that there was a covenant that was formed between husband and wife, and the only time that sex can be accepted between two people is when there is a covenant. Are we here this morning? That's the only way that sex can be acceptable. In fact, when Adam first saw Eve. The, the first recorded human utterance in history was right there. It was more of like a poetic song. And this is what Adam said to Eve. This is now what? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman. I, I believe that when Adam saw Eve, he, he said, Whoa, man. Can you imagine, you know, there's this beautiful lady right in front of you. There's nothing there. And yet, when Adam looked at Eve, there was no hint or perversion whatsoever. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says, The man and the woman were both naked, and they felt no shame. Nothing wrong with sex. In fact, God blessed them and He told them, you go back to chapter 1, and He gave them a, a basic, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, a benediction. And He said, go forth and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And He basically said, you know, go ahead and enjoy your being together. He blessed this marriage. And part of the blessing is that Adam and Eve can actually enjoy this thing called sex together. Because of their covenant with one another. God basically summarized that particular day by saying, it is very good. Every day of the creation, after God would uh, create something, He would summarize that day as, it is good. When God created the light, He said, it is good. When God created the vegetation and the, and the waters and the sea and all the animals, after each and every day, He said, it is good. But on the final day when God created both man and woman, He summarized His creation and He said, it is very good. Sex is good in the confines of marriage. I want to put it out there right away. Today we're going to talk about sex being an idol in, in our life. Next week, we're going to talk about the authority of, uh, of sex. And the week after, we're going to talk about purity. You know, I have here, I'd like to ask uh, the help of our... Uh,
When you see a bed, what do you think about? Tama, di ba? You know, even, you know, after a run, I think it's time for me to take a rest. <laughs> you know, what? You know, a bed is actually used for resting. But somehow, it's also a symbol of making love. Making love out of nothing at all. <laughs> but how do we view this particular symbol? In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, the Bible says that the marriage should be honored by all and that the marriage bed, even mentioned in the scripture, check your Bibles. Hebrews 13, 4, the marriage bed must be kept pure. Only through the confines of marriage is sex acceptable. This is what I said earlier. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Sex is good. Now, how do we view sex? There are three views of sex. And two are extremes. And one is actually the biblical view of sex. First extreme view of sex is that sex is a God. This is the worldly view. Somehow people deify sex. They make sex as their God. They're so consumed with sex. Deify, to deify means to idolize, to worship, to exalt, or to adore. That is what to deify means. That's why the, what, when you say deity, God is our deity, he, you know, it refers to Godhead, Godship. But yet some people would deify sex in a sense that the sex becomes an idol in their life. And when you talk about an idol, an idol actually is something that was good and it turns out to be bad. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, but God will what? Destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, this particular uh, statement, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, is actually a saying, a popular saying in Corinth, among the Corinthians. What they're saying is, if you're hungry, you go and eat. Because of the appetite. Somehow they're controlled with their appetite. You know, it's, it's natural for them that when they feel the hunger, they actually eat. And what they're also saying is that when you feel the urge, you go do it. For the Corinthians, you know, they have a, an insatiable desire to engage in this particular act. That is part of their culture. You know, the Corinthians were actually a, the Corinth was actually in an old Greek city before Romans conquered it. And the idea was that you can do what you want. In fact, there's, uh, as I, I think I, I preached this in the Honor God series, that in, in one of the temples, it says there, the temple of, the Af of Aphrodite, that there are about 1,000 prostitutes there that you can actually use in order for you to worship the God of Aphrodite. In that particular culture, the worship of sex, or sorry, the worship of God, sex is actually included there. They idolize it. It's part of their culture. 
Dr. Tim Keller said, What makes sex an idol or a god? What is an idol? Is it, it's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. If you, know, if, if you let something replace God, then that becomes an idol in our life. In fact, in its simplest definition, an, an idol or idolatry happens when a good thing like sex becomes a God thing like lust or adultery which becomes a bad thing. Did you get that? You know, something that is good, there's nothing wrong with sex. But yet, if it becomes an idol in our life, then it becomes a bad thing. Because if it becomes an idol in our life, it becomes God or a replacement of God. For example, ma- money is not a bad thing, right? How many of you like money? It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. But how many of you like it? Yes, Pastor, I like it a lot. But anyways, you know, we need money, right? There's nothing wrong with money. But if money becomes a god, and if it becomes an idol called greed, then it becomes a god thing, and ultimately it becomes a bad thing. How many of you love your family? How many of you have a family? You love your family, right? How many of you know that family is good? Family is a good thing, but if the family becomes an idol or a god thing, or maybe a relationship becomes a God thing that you know, you'll do anything to just please this person even if you're disobeying God already, then it becomes a bad thing. The same is true with sex. When you talk about sex, sex is a good thing. Everybody say it with me. Sex is a good thing. Say it three times. Sex is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. In the confines of? Marriage. Very good class. I don't want you to go out of this place and just memorize, sex is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. Let me find it. In the context of marriage, how many of you are married? Here, please raise your hand. Great. I hope that you are considering sex as a good thing. Let's continue. When a culture defies sex, the numbers would show us. These are some facts, right, that we can see. Pornography is a $97 billion industry worldwide. It's a huge industry, and many people are addicted to it. 2.5 billion emails are sent or received every day that contains porn. What a shocking data. 90% of children between 8 and 16 have viewed porn on the internet, in most cases unintentionally, according to the London School of Economics. And guess what? Even if it was an, if it was an accident, what happens was, if, you, if your children have seen that through the internet, chances are they would go back to that site again because of what they've seen. It, be, it was an accident in the first during the first time, but it may no longer be an accident after 10 times visiting in the same site, right? Pornography is very addicting. In fact, they did a survey in, I think, in New York, and they asked how many singles are 
How do I say? How many singles are actually engaged in pornography and are doing, I'm going to say the word, okay? Excuse me for this. Masturbation. And they said, according to that study, that 90% are actually engaged in porn and M. And 10% are lying. That's among the singles. The Philippines, sad to say, the Philippines is among the top 10 countries with rampant cyber pornographic activities involving mostly boys and girls, 10 to 14, according to the Virtual Global Task Force, a group of international agencies against top producers of child pornography. This is such a sad situation for us. We know that when you talk about sex, sex, what is supposed to be good, becomes bad because of what happened in the garden. You know, when, when Adam and Eve, basically, they thought that everything would be fine, and then Genesis chapter 3 came, the serpent came, and sin came into humanity, and that's when we see a downward uh, spiral of this particular topic. I'd like to read from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 27. It's a rather long scripture, but let me just read this particular scripture that describes the situation of the people back in the day, days of Paul, when he was writing this particular letter to the Romans. And maybe you can actually look at this particular verse and fast forward it and maybe there are similarities between that culture and our culture that we live in today. The wrath of God, we're talking about the wrath of God earlier in Colossians chapter um, uh, 3. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How many of you know if you seek God, God will reveal himself to you? That's how good our God is. You know, our God is someone who likes, who likes to reveal himself to his people. What may be known about him is plain. You look at the nature. You look at, you know, creation. You look at your body. You know, you, you definitely would see that there must be a God. There must be a creator. Someone who created us. We didn't just come from a, an, a protozoa or an amoeba and then we turned into a monkey and then we came into, a, you know, we turned into an ape and then you started, you know, walking straight and then now we're a man, right? You know, someone created us. And his name is God. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood for, from what has been made so that men are what? Men are without excuse. Because you can actually see the reality of God everywhere we go. In verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became what? 
They became fools. Why? Because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And this is what happened after that. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Basically, what this verse is saying is it's really our choice. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. God has presented His design for humanity, what is right. But yet, because men have suppressed the truth about God, they chose otherwise. And so since they chose otherwise, God gave it to them. And it says, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the served Created and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust. For one another, men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. I am just reading the scripture for us this morning. How many of you know that sometimes the word of God can definitely convict? That is the word of God. By God's design, He created us male and female. And we have natural desire for each other. When you talk about idolatry, you know, the fruit of idolatry is sexual immorality. And of course, we've mentioned the others. Pornography. Fornication is actually engaging in sexual act before marriage. And adultery is actually engaging in sexual act within your marriage vow, outside the marriage, when you're married already. That's the first extreme view. The second extreme view is you. Basically, what this view is saying is that sex is gross. And this is the other extreme which is the religious view. The other one is the deifying of sex and sex becoming a god to some people. And the other one is totally just not minding sex and treating sex as something like garbage. Sex gross view, as gross view often looks at sex solely as unfortunate means by which we're to have babies. In fact, uh, one of the early philosophers, uh, Plato, was probably one that influenced the, the thinking of this particular um, attitude towards sex, and he influenced many of the church fathers. In fact, 
Some of the early church fathers said, this is Clement of Alexandria, forgive me for this quote, intercourse performed licitly is an occasion of sin unless done purely to beget children. What he's saying is, you can only have sex if you are planning to have babies. Aside from that, sex becomes a sin. That is the extreme view. And for them, sex is only designed for procreation and not for pleasure. That somehow God created sex only for the expansion of humanity and not for our enjoyment. But yet we can see in the scripture that Adam and Eve were actually enjoying each other. Augustine, conversion. Uh, he often, sorry, uh, during the conversion of Augustine, he actually, before conversion, it was said according to history that he was also uh, engaged in sexual acts before his conversion. And when he was converted, he often commended married couples for not engaging in sex and referred to it as a form of animalistic lust. Thomas Aquinas taught that sex was only permissible for purposes of procreation and saw sexual intercourse as duty alone. According to him, anything beyond this is immoral. That somehow sex is not designed for pleasure. That sex is only designed for making babies. I'm looking at all the married people here. Paano naman tayo? You know, and actually that is the extreme view of that. I believe that there is definitely a place wherein God wants the husband and the wife to enjoy this as a gift from Him. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 19, it says, you know, there's a description by the wisest man, Solomon. He wrote about this, about a bride, and he said, A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Pastor, is that really in the Bible? That is so direct. Check your scriptures. It's there in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 19. In fact, a whole book was dedicated to this Song of Solomon and some, you know, some... Uh, Theologians are saying, no, Song of Solomon is describing the relationship between God and the church. It is not talking about sex. But if you look at Song of Solomon, chapter 4, it describes, you know, this husband was describing how beautiful her wife was. And that, you know, your, your neck is like the Tower of David. Can you imagine when you're having a deal with your wife and you're describing how she looks like? Your neck is like the Tower of David, you know. And then you move further in the description there in Song of Solomon chapter 4. I'm just quoting the Bible here, guys. And it says, Your breasts are like the twin fawns of the gazelle. What a description. I think during that time, that is supposed to be a compliment. But please don't use those words today to your wife. Your breasts are like two fawns of the gazelle. Not good. That has gone in... Oh, well, anyway. But yet, that is part of Scripture. It's a description 
of the relationship between a husband and a wife. That's the second view. And the last view, which is the biblical view, is that sex is a gift from God. And I believe that all of us can actually now say, Amen. Ang hirap i-preach nito, no? Sex is a gift from God. This is the biblical view. That's why we've seen in the different views, you would see that sex is, yes, it is for procreation, but I believe that sex is also for pleasure. And in this particular case, sex is for permanence. Amen. Because when you talk about sex, it can only be done between two people that have made a covenant with each other and not merely lived in. It's a covenant of marriage that is needed. It is a gift from God. It is only allowed in a covenant. Going back to Scripture. Sorry for that. I think this is possessed. Anyway, I bind you. There you go. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. Everybody say, one flesh. You know, this flesh is the embodiment of the whole person. Basically, it's the giving of one's whole being. When you talk about one flesh, this is not just describing your body or your flesh. Ah, okay, that one flesh means that they will actually, you know, get together and make love. But no, one flesh means that you're actually giving of yourself to the person that you love, your wife, your husband. In fact, oneness in this particular case, it is also akin to the oneness of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When you talk about sex, sex is actually spiritual in nature. That when you, between you, husband and the wife, when you have sex together, what happens is you are being united together as one. And the most intimate act that can ever be done between two human beings is there on the marriage bed. In fact, I heard one preacher that describes sex as worship unto the Lord. Sobra naman yun. Since sex is spiritual, is it possible that when you do this, between you and your wife, that you're actually honoring God in your marriage and you're worshiping Him? That's why be careful of the terms. You know, when you say, Honey, let's go home, let's worship. You know, that might actually put a new meaning to worship nowadays between husband and wife. It is God's way of basically saying to one person, I am completely yours and you are completely mine. Part of the vows that we do during weddings that we officiate is when they exchange the ring, this ring, is a sign of the covenant that I have made with you today.
to love you with an everlasting love as I place it on your hand and you receive it. You acknowledge that you are no longer your own, but mine. Mm. There's nothing wrong with sex. If done in the confines of marriage. And I look at my wife. I look at her not with a dirty look. Hello. But I look at her with purity and holiness. Even if you look at your spouse and you invite your spouse to have sex. That is the most selfless act that you can actually do. Because, you know, the world would actually treat sex as self-gratification. What can I get from this? You know, how can I be satisfied in this relationship? But in reality, the word would treat sex as self-donation. You give of yourself to your spouse. Now I understand there might be some situation. Like, for example, you know, there might be a sickness or something like that. You know, that there, that's more of an exception than the rule. But the Bible says, do not deprive each other, but for a season, in order that you can pray, but then come together once again because Satan might tempt you because the days are evil. We have a marital duty to our spouse to give of ourselves to them and they also to give of themselves to us. And this is more than a duty. I hope that this becomes a delight when you talk about sex. Dr. Albert Moeller said, The biblical writers affirm sexuality as part of our embodied existence as human beings. We are uh, sexual creatures, and as sexual creatures, we are called to honor God with our bodies. The biblical writers link holiness to happiness. True happiness comes in the fulfillment of sexual holiness. The attempt to enjoy sexual happiness without holiness is the root of sexual deviance. That's why I believe that in the confines of marriage, sex definitely is holy. And it can actually produce happiness in marriage. Very quickly, now that we learned the three views, how do we respond biblically? First, we need to put to death. Everybody say, put to death. Put to death the earthly nature. That's the view of, you know, deifying sex or maybe considering sex as ill. As gross. I believe that we need to put to death the earthly nature, that of immorality. And we'll read that again. Can we read that again? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual, immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is what? Idolatry. Adultery in its purest form is sexual immorality. Jesus himself said, if you look at a woman lustfully in your eyes, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. 
You don't even have to commit it with your physical hands. Because how many of you know that adultery, or sorry, idolatry begins in the heart? Ezekiel chapter uh, 13 verse 4 says that. That, you know, these people have committed idol, idol worship in their hearts. Idolatry begins in the heart before it extends to the hands. It starts here. You know, if you talk to people who've fallen into this particular sin, it all began by having an idol in their life. Put to death means to make dead, to slay, to deprive of power. We need to kill it. Kill the desire. How do we do it? This is hard. Nobody wants... Nobody wants to talk about sex. But yet everybody has a problem or an issue with it. If I may put that. Either you look at it gross or you look at it as an idol. Second, after putting to death the desire of the sinful nature, what do we do? The second response is we put on the new self. First is put it off or kill it. Second is put on the new self. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 says, And we have put on the what? The new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the what? The new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, I believe that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I believe that today as we come before the Lord, you know, there might be some issues in your life. But as we humble ourselves before the Lord, I believe God will give us the victory in that particular area of our life. Main point I want to share as we come to a close. Sex is not a God. Jesus is. Worship Jesus only. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall we serve. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in the Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.